You're listening to the Investing.com's weekly crypto podcast with your host, Clément Thibault. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Investing.com's weekly crypto podcast called Cryptoc. I'm your host, Clément Thibault, and I'm going to start like every week by saying that this podcast is for you if you are interested in the cryptocurrency market but don't necessarily have the time or you're not willing to really follow day-to-day what's going on. So we're trying to do a 20-25-minute weekly show where we go over the most important pieces of news from the week. So we're talking about three to four items, uh, which we're going to be covering, uh, explaining, and talking a little bit about. So, all right, that's uh, that's it. And uh, let's go to the topics. So the month of November, it's a, it's a new month. And today we're going to be talking about uh, the Bitcoin 10-year white paper anniversary. That was on October 31. We're going to talk about volatility in stocks and in crypto. We're going to talk about the newest round of funding that Coinbase got. And we're going to talk about a report, a cryptocurrency report by Morgan Stanley. Uh, So those are our topics, four topics for the the first week of November, the the end of October, first week of November. And uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a pretty interesting episode, this one. So, all right, let's go. So let's start with the Bitcoin 10-year white paper anniversary. So basically, if you follow any accounts on Twitter or Facebook of someone that is interested in cryptocurrency, you probably saw uh, the last day of October, so Halloween, you probably saw a few references to an anniversary that Bitcoin has, a white paper anniversary that Bitcoin has. So let's talk about this a little bit. So every project, every cryptocurrency project has a white paper that explains you know what what is the project doing and how is the project doing it and bitcoin's white paper was the first one published and it was published so on october 31 uh, 2008 so it's been a decade since then and it's important to a lot of people because this is you know the white paper this is the this is what started the entire cryptocurrency space as we know it today so obviously there were a lot of projects before that but, you know, everything kind of led to Bitcoin being the first big cryptocurrency project that we see today. So uh, that, it was just a nine page document. Or today we're seeing white papers of, you know, 100, 200 pages. It was just Satoshi Nakamoto, whoever that is, you know, started to just explain a little bit. Of course, he doesn't go into all the complete details, but he shows just enough of the idea and one, what stands, you know, behind Bitcoin. What's the idea of everything? So a couple of fun facts about it. Uh, the world, the words blockchain and cryptocurrency are not even mentioned once. So that's a that's a fun fact, you know, because Bitcoin is kind of kind of gave birth to all those projects and to, you know, the popularization of, of blockchain and cryptocurrencies. But that wasn't even on Satoshi's mind when he actually did it. Uh, Bitcoin itself. So that we were talking about the anniversary of the white paper. So what happened is that the white paper was published before the network was actually set up and the network started working. You know, the first mining was on January 3rd, 2009. So if you ask me, that's more the anniversary of Bitcoin, whereas this is more maybe the conception, you know, the idea of Bitcoin, you know, seeing light for the first time. But I think that a real birthday would probably be more January 3rd because this is when the network itself was born. So in order to celebrate uh, this event, we're going to talk about three events that really started, 
you know, Bitcoin and that were impactful and that people still remember to this day. So the first one was the first transaction between Satoshi Nakamoto, whoever that is again, and Hal Finney, which was involved, you know, in the in the early cypherpunk mailing lists. So, you know, Hal Finney left us in, in 2014, unfortunately, but a lot of people f still think that he might have been Satoshi Nakamoto or at the very least a part of, you know, the group that created Bitcoin. So there's a few names on that shortlist and he's definitely there for a lot of people. Unfortunately, we'll probably never know. Although, you know, I want to believe that some people that were involved in that community early on have some inside knowledge regarding who he is that they will probably take to their grave or, you know, maybe reveal on their deathbed. And so that, you know, I'm still hopeful that we will find out one day who is Satoshi Nakamoto. The second event that kind of marked the community that people are still talking about is Bitcoin Pizza Day. So in May 2010, someone actually bought two Papa John's pizzas for 10,000 Bitcoin. Uh, today, that's about 64, 63 million dollars. So, uh, you know, hindsight probably wasn't the best deal. But I think that it's one of the first uses of Bitcoin in the what we call the real world. So some, it came out of, you know, the, the academic, you know, very close cypherpunk community. And it kind of, you know, it's the first time that we saw someone use Bitcoin to actually purchase something that had real value. Pizza obviously had real value. So that's the, so that's the second thing. And, and the, the third thing is, is a lot less joyous, and that's the hack uh, by, of Mt. Gox in 2014, February 2014, in which about uh, 650,000 Bitcoins got lost or hacked. And that's about, I think, $4.2 billion today at today's prices. So I think that, you know, if I had to choose a couple of three strong events from the past, from, you know, the, the early days maybe of Bitcoin that kind of made it what it's today, then those definitely would be on the top of the list. So once again, happy, happy anniversary to the Bitcoin white paper. Uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about it again on January 3rd, once it's the actual birthday of the network. But, uh, but yeah, but everybody was mentioning it and it was, it was a little bit everywhere. I tweeted about it myself. And I always like to know the history of things. And that's definitely, you know, a historical day as far as Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies are concerned. So I think it's a good thing that people are talking about it. All right. So let's move on to our second topic. All right. Our second topic is the volatility. And we're going to compare Bitcoin to tech stocks. So if you're following the financial markets in general, uh, you've probably seen that over the past month and even some stock over the past couple of months or even three or four, uh, there's been a global sell-off uh, in stocks. So we're talking stocks like AMD, NVIDIA dropping by as much as 20% in the past month, uh, Netflix, Amazon, even Facebook. So Facebook, Facebook peaked at $218 in July and it's now $150 after a positive earnings reaction. So we were at 142 before the actual earnings came out. So it felt a long way. We're talking about 33% of the value of Facebook cut. Now, over the same time frame, Bitcoin hasn't moved a lot, right? It, it's been trading between, you know, $6,000 and $7,000. So, you know, even if you got in at seven and you, you know, dropped and you sold it and you sold at six, 
you're probably better off than if you had invested in Facebook, you know, in July and, and you know, held on till now, which is weird and something that, you know, the Bitcoin community is not very used to because we're used to very volatile days. We're used to Bitcoin going 10% up and down over the course of a day. And that's kind of what we got used to, especially after uh, everything that happened uh, last year with, you know, all cryptocurrencies kind of going crazy and Bitcoin going to 20,000 and everything. So what it tells us is that the spread between the 10-day volatility of, you know, the New York Stock Exchange FANG Plus Index and Bitcoin was 46 percentage points. And that's the largest spread ever. That means that there has never been a time where stocks were this much more volatile, where tech stocks were this much more volatile than Bitcoin. So the market, you know, financial markets, traditional markets, uh, when we want to see volatility, we often look at the VIX index. And the VIX is trading right now between, I want to say, 19 and 27, which is a lot higher than what it was, you know, a few years ago. I think since 2016, 2017, and the majority of 2018, we've been in the low teens, even as dropping to single-digit VIX, which means that the volatility was very, very low. So right now what we're seeing is is the opposite happening. You know, Bitcoin would have had a very low VIX and and stocks, you know, the VIX is, is through the roof at 27 sometimes. So that's, that's very interesting. Uh, I think that, you know, many people kind of see in it Bitcoin maturing. And but honestly, I don't really see it yet. And I think that, you know, we're talking about the, the 10 day volatility. Right. So we're, it's a very, very short time frame. If Bitcoin was to stay, you know, more stable and less volatile than the stock market for a year, I'd be impressed. And I would and I would really think that maybe Bitcoin is evolving into something else and, and really starting to become maybe a store of value, like a lot of people said that it's going to become. But I think that, you know, 10 days, it's celebrating just a little early. And let's see what happened. Historically, it's not the case. Right. Maybe it's the start of a reversal. Is it? I don't personally, I don't think so. But, you know, and, and I just wanted to talk about this a little bit because I think that some people that are not very interested in cryptocurrency might see that headline and think, oh, then, you know, putting my money into Bitcoin now is a great idea. You know, it's, it's even more stable than, you know, stocks. But I think that this is definitely not the case. So if you saw the, you know, the headlines, yes, it's true for like a week or 10 days, Bitcoin has been, you know, kind of stagnating and the New York Stock Exchange and the Nasdaq sharply fell. But that's not something that I would count on to happen, you know, every other week. And this has been a very bad month for traditional markets, for financial markets and the stock exchange. But generally, this is not how things go. And Bitcoin, you know, I still expect it to remain Bitcoin and, of course, other cryptocurrencies, because we're talking just about Bitcoin, which is probably the less volatile of the bunch. So I expect them to still stay more volatile over the long term. So that's just something that I wanted to discuss just a little bit so that people don't necessarily think that, you know, Bitcoin all of a sudden is like a safe haven kind of uh, asset. It's very not it's still very speculative, still very risky. And I wouldn't advise, you know, if 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 you're risk averse and risk is not your thing, even though the 10 day volatility was you know, lower than the one for, of the stock market, this is definitely still not an asset for you. All right. So now that we've talked about this, uh, we can move to Coinbase and, and it raising uh, 30 million dollars. All right. So let's move on to 
other news regarding Coinbase. So I think at the end of the last segment, I said that Coinbase raised $30 million. Uh, that's obviously wouldn't be that big news. So they raised $300 million. So I apologize for that mistake earlier. So it's not worth $8 billion. So the news is that it raised $300 million in Series E funding round, uh, which brought his valuation to $8 billion. So it was led by Tiger Global Management with Y Combinator and Anderson Horowitz and, and you know, many, many leading uh, venture capitalists. Uh, so the company itself, it's interesting to talk a little bit about it and why it would be worth $7 billion. So first of all, the company employs hundreds of people and we're talking over 500 employees, uh, although it downsized a little, a little bit last week because obviously, you know, crypto markets are not doing very well. And the fate of that company, you know, is, is definitely tied to how, how good cryptocurrencies will become and how mainstream they will become. The more mainstream cryptocurrencies will be, you know, the more Coinbase will make money. So investing in the equity of Coinbase is kind of investing kind of in the future of cryptocurrencies without investing in cryptocurrencies themselves. So according, so what, what I like about Coinbase basically, it's that it's really a go-to exchange for a lot of people. And I actually read an article on Bloomberg last week that defined it as the go-to exchange. So when you're the go-to exchange, when you're the go-to anything in the US market, you're worth a lot of money. So if Google is the go-to search engine, that's cool. If Amazon is the go-to e-commerce site, that's also cool. So if, if Coinbase and you know both Amazon and Google are valued at billions and billions of dollars. So if Coinbase is actually the go-to something for cryptocurrencies, you know, like Bitcoin, then it, this definitely puts it in the league of its own regarding you know it has a first movers advantage and it's already well positioned in the market and people actually know it already so i think that first of all regarding the name and the position that it's got today it's in a very good position now for the year coinbase is projecting revenue of 1.3 billion dollars that's still according to bloomberg 1.3 billion dollars you know you can understand why that company would be worth 8 billion dollars it said that it expects to keep about $450 million in profit, right? Which would put, uh, you know, it, it would put it at less than a, a multiple of 20. Less than a multiple of 20 for a very tech, you know, cryptocurrency. I think that, you know, it, it's definitely not that far-fetched. But like I said earlier, it's it's all about the prospects of cryptocurrencies going forward, right? So if... If Americans will still be interested in cryptocurrencies in a year from now, two years from now, we'll definitely see, you know, Coinbase shooting up because, you know, people that are looking to buy Bitcoin, it's just how it is. I know that some people in the crypto community don't really like Coinbase and think that Coinbase acts like a bank, you know, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. And, and I agree with that in a way, but it's still a legit company and it's still the premier company in the space in the U.S., uh, last year, I think uh, at the height of the bubble, it said that it had 13, millions, 13 million accounts. So that's a lot of accounts. That's a lot of people trading on Coinbase and still the go-to name. And once people, you know, maybe if cryptocurrencies make a little comeback and people are looking to buy into it again, I have no doubt in my mind that Coinbase will be one of the first companies to profit from that you know, bump in Bitcoin's price and in the renewed public interest. So I think that Coinbase, it's, it's very well positioned 
to succeed in the future. Like I said, it has a first mover's advantage. You know, it provides a good service. A lot of people are happy with it, even though, you know, maybe it's not up to standards for hardcore cryptography people. And that's OK. That's not for everyone. I, I understand that if you if you're not willing to hold your private keys, you probably shouldn't own Bitcoin. Right, but still, if people want to, you know, kind of play in the markets with the financial asset and everything, not for Bitcoin as what it is, what it stands for, but just Bitcoin as an asset, Coinbase will probably really, really, really profit from it. So that's definitely one of the reasons why it's valued at $8 billion, which again, when you take into account $450 million of profit in the year, you know, okay, so last, if next year will be a weak year for cryptocurrencies, you know, then maybe we'll see that valuation go down a little bit. But it doesn't strike me as excessive right now. So that's definitely big, big news uh, from the cryptocurrency world. And uh, we'll now move on to the Morgan Stanley Report. And last but not least, uh, Morgan Stanley Report. So the research division of Morgan Stanley uh, released a 50-page report titled Update Bitcoin, Cryptocurrencies and Blockchain on Wednesday. Now, first of all, why is that news? It's news because every time that a big institution that controls trillions of dollars says the world Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies, it's worth talking about. You know, a lot of people are expecting institutional money to come in and, and they're very, you know, very excited about it. So every time that a bank or an investment bank or anyone really says anyone with a lot of money says something about Bitcoin, you know, they're interested in hearing them out and, and it makes the news. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. So one of the things that came out of the Morgan Stanley report is that they called it a new institutional investment class, meaning that they see Bitcoin as a new in, a new asset. You know, it's just a different a different investment class. It's, it's it's been like that for almost a year. They're right. So they really see it as something very, you know, separate. And their report shows that the amount of crypto assets under management has been increasing since January 2016 with 7 billion, over 7 billion currently being stored by hedge funds, venture capital firms and private equity firms. So for all the talks about, you know, institutional money coming into the markets, the Bitcoin today is worth around 100 billion, 110 billion. So 7 billion, you know, could be with venture capitalists and hedge funds, although I suspect that this report is actually talking about crypto assets as a whole and not necessarily Bitcoin. So we would, we would be talking about, you know, the entire worth of cryptocurrencies, which I don't have the number and I don't want to say, you know, a ridiculous number, but I think that a little bit under 200 billion total, I think like 180 total. So, you know, it's still institutions and hedge funds and venture capitalists are still very, are still invested in Bitcoin somewhat. Uh, something else that the report came up with was that cryptocurrencies are largely correlated, and that's definitely something that you do not need to work at Morgan Stanley to notice. Uh, if you take a look at every, any Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ripple, Bitcoin Cash kind of chart, and you put them one on top of the other, it's clear as day. You know, the asset class moves as an asset class. You know, Bitcoin falls a little less and rises a little less. So it's like the stable older brother of the other currencies. But generally, when Bitcoin rises, other currency rise and when, you know, and, and, and they move together. So it, it almost, you know, it's like it's like if you go to like smaller cryptocurrencies, it's kind of like a leveraged Bitcoin in a way. In a day that Bitcoin will move 10 percent, 
you know, a smaller currency might move 20 or 30, and that's in either direction. So, of course, it's, you know, the, the good parts of leverage and the bad parts of leverage. They're the same. They apply to cryptocurrencies as in anything else. So a little other nugget of knowledge is that over 10 billions have been raised by ICOs and that 64% of ICOs either fail at launch or within the year. So when we're talking about traditional startups, we usually talk about 25% uh, failure rate in the first year. So if you take ICOs, we're almost tripling that at 64%, which is, you know, a lot more. And I think that, you know, I think that startups, classic startups and, and the way that, you know, VCs work and the way that there's a lot of, you know, incubators for projects. And I think that that kind of that kind of helps startups not to fail a lot. And the, the wild, wild west of, of ICOs, of everybody, you know, fending for their own and just trying to, you know, raise as much money as possible and then do whatever they want to do with it. Obviously, it brings a higher failure rate and it's uh, investing in ICOs. Is, is even riskier than investing in startups. And investing in startups is super risky, as is. Uh, so that, that, was, uh, that was a few data points. They also said that there were a few issues their clients had with investing in the cryptocurrency space. So first of all, you know, uncertainty regarding uh, the regulator and all the regulations that are supposed to come on crypto, which of course, you know, is understandable. You don't want to put, you know, billions of dollars into something that might be taken away by a government regulation or lose 50% from a regulator decision. So I really think that once the regulator will come out and have a set, a set set of rules, that will definitely help crypto adoption and definitely help a lot of money flow in. Uh, another thing was a lack of regulated custodian solutions, which is we're being worked on. We talked about uh, bucket futures last week. That's something that we mentioned. And that's definitely one of the platforms actually working on having custodian solutions. I know that Coinbase actually got approved to be a custodian also. And the third thing was a current lack of large financial institutions in the space, which is kind of the, you know, it, it's kind of a snowball where it's very hard to create the first ball. But once you get it running and no one actually wants to be a part of that core ball, because someone has to take like a very big leap, like a risk of saying, listen, I'm going to be the first, you know, institutions in the space. And Fidelity kind of has done that with the platform that we talked about, I think, two weeks ago. But, you know, it's still it's it, there's no it's, it's not they're not very active yet in it. It's not something that they're doing that they're, you know, wholeheartedly stepping into. And no one kind of want to be the first because if you're the first, you know, maybe you can reap the benefits, but you can definitely get burned and and. And uh, so I, I understand why it's a problem for a lot of clients that just you don't want to be the only big fish. You want to be sure that someone has tested it before it. And, you know, you manage you manage billions and trillions of dollars differently than what you manage when you have like a small fund or maybe your own funds and the kind of risks you can take. And just the way, you know, risk management is done is, is different. So I can definitely understand why, you know, as long as there are no institutions, institutions will hesitate, but then it creates kind of a weird situation where, okay, so who does the first step? But once we will reach critical mass, then I'm definitely sure that, you know, a lot of people will feel a lot more confident and comfortable jumping in. And that's it for this week. All right. So thanks for uh, being with us uh, this Sunday or Monday or wherever you're listening to that podcast. 
uh, I'm happy to be making it. It's, uh, it brings me joy. So I hope that, you know, you get to learn from it and that it brings you pleasure as well. Uh, please feel free to drop me a message on Twitter. So at Clem Thibault, which is at C-L-E-M-T-H-I-B-A-U-L-T. My face is a cartoon, so you can't really, really miss that. I hope you all have a great, great week, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for being with us on Cryptalk by Investing.com.